This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. Stand by, 15 seconds to air. Stand by, old camera, and videotape. Ready with your opening graphics. Stand by, Howard. Here we come, Frank. Ready, Don. Stand by, audio, your opening music, and roll tape. Take tape. September 11th, 2001. A day of tragedy and pain. One that shook the lives of all Americans. Fifteen years later, the reverberations of which are still being felt. 2,977 souls were lost when four commercial airliners were hijacked by 19 terrorists. 2,753 perished at the World Trade Center in New York. One hundred eighty-four at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. And forty more in a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. For many connected to the National Football League, 9-11 had a deep and lasting impact. Together, we'll recount these stories and reflect back on that fateful day and the ones that followed. was kicking off its 82nd season in 2001. That first weekend of football, broadcast partners were coordinating a special White House coin toss. Here we go, get ready guys. And the Jets were breaking in a new head coach. We're going man, let's go. Welcome to sold out Giant Stadium and there is Herman Edwards in his first season as a head coach. Jets and the Colts coming up in a coin toss of presidential proportions after this word from your local station. How we doing? He's doing okay. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. 
time. Just so you know, they they did call heads. Okay. Okay. So, right. We wait for the president to make right. the point. Time. And then we'll and then we'll give options just like normal. But the only re only thing I want to know is this: How do we know that guy don't have a? a we don't. We don't know. He's the president. We gotta trust him. We'll trust him. And you guys have fun today. Okay. This is heads. This is tails. Here we go. It's tails. In the locker room, they they took heads, so they get the ball. We get the ball. We got it. My mistake. You know, the first game you play, you're excited. And uh, we play Peyton Manning at home. We lose. Manning back. Looks to the right. Pumps now. Looks to the left. Throws. Inside. Touchdown. We'll get it worked out. We'll get it worked out. Hey. Thank the end of the world. We'll be okay. Let's just hang together now. The following day. The defending NFC champion Giants played a Monday night game in Denver as they helped the Broncos inaugurate their new home at Invesco Field. I remember how loud it was, the fans stomping on this in the stadium, um, on those metal seats, and, and that we lost the game. And little did I know that was gonna be one of the most memorable life events of my life. Not, not shortly after that game ended. The Giants retreating to a red-eye back to New York as they start the season 0-1, and the Broncos head to Indianapolis to take on the Colts coming off their impressive win against the Jets. On the morning of September 11th, the Giants arrived back in New Jersey. I do remember pulling into the gate at Newark Airport and um, just noticing another plane uh, right next to us as we pulled into the gate. Found out later that that was uh, Flight 93. That was the Shanksville plane. And uh, we walked right by the people boarding that flight and the terrorists. We're back at 8.30 on this Tuesday morning. It's the 11th day of September, the year 2001. We got in that morning, and I was home. I was in bed in Montclair, New Jersey. Had a great view of the skyline of New York. And I got a call, and the call was like, look out your window. I can vividly remember watching Matt Lauer on the Today Show describe what, what had happened. And at that point, people thought it was an accident. We're back at 9 o'clock Eastern time on this Tuesday morning. You're looking at the World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan, where just a few minutes ago, we're told that a plane, some reports are that it was a small commuter plane, crashed into the upper floors of one of the Twin Towers. On Tuesday, September 11th, I was uh, off, and I had a dentist appointment first thing in the morning. I was sitting in a dentist chair and listening to the radio when the radio made an announcement that a small plane hit the towers and you know, not thinking anything of it and you know just you know in my head and knowing that my uh, brothers with the FDNY were down there. Tuesday's the day really where you're actually getting ready for the next game. We're going to play the Raiders on, on, on the road. And where our offices were in Hofstra, my window was was one adjacent to where you could see the patterns of the air flights always taking off and basically landing at, at LaGuardia. And I was in my office early, just watching tape, and I'd look out my window, 
And I always knew that there was always planes. And for some reason, I looked out the window, and 20 minutes later, I looked out the window, and no, no, no planes. It was strange to me. So I turned the local television on, and lo and behold, see the second plane. about a possible accident to talk about something deliberate. I come up out of the subway stop where I normally came out of, which was only a few blocks away. And I never forgot the look on the people's faces. My thought at the time was, how many people are gonna die today? was the thought that went through my head. I mean, like, how many people are in that building right now and you could do nothing to help them? People are jumping out of the building. Yeah. How many of you seen? About a dozen. The devastation was extraordinary. Gene Upshaw was on the phone with me from Washington. He was driving to work and he saw the Pentagon get hit. We're looking at live pictures of the Pentagon where there is billowing smoke. We had an aircraft intentionally fly into the Pentagon. It was horrifying. When you know people that worked there that lost their lives, when you understand uh, that our country would change forever that day. We don't even know how many incidents this now makes, but a large plane has crashed in Western Pennsylvania. Everybody was on high alert. I called my wife up, saying, you need to go get our daughter out of daycare, bring her back home. Y'all stay at the house. We don't know what's going on. Instant fear. Like, instant fear. Like, this is it. World is ending. I mean, this is something that I don't think any of us could ever imagine. And just to be that close to it was scary. Coming up. When people see a tragedy, the normal instinct is to run away. These guys went in, you know, they go in. I pretty much started going to games when they opened the stadium in the 70s, the original Meadowlands Giant Stadium. Football's part of our life. I go to probably six or seven games a year. Tony Sicenzio also likes to attend one Giants road game every year. In 2001, he chose the season opener in Denver. They lost a tough game. Really exciting. Throws deep in the right side for Smith. In the end zone, Rod Smith with a Denver yeah. touchdown. Yeah. On the morning of September 11th, I woke up at the Brown Palace Hotel. And the first thing I did is I tried to cold work. You know, take my lumps, going out there to see the Giants lose. And I couldn't get any phone calls through. It was strange. And then I finally got through to Patty. I got through to my wife, and she said, uh, put the TV on. Looking again, if you're just joining us, both towers of the World Trade Center in New York City, where two planes have crashed into the towers. I was an employee at Cannon Fitzgerald. I worked on the 104th floor of one World Trade Center. Once I saw the flames, I knew. My friends, they were trapped up there. Over a hundred floors below, New York's bravest were on their way to help. 
people see a tragedy, the natural normal instinct is to run away. These guys went in, you know, they go in. Those are heroes. My brother Jimmy was one of the first responders in Tower One. He was just climbing, helping civilians down. The first building fell down. It felt like an earthquake, he said. He was just holding on to the railings in the stairway. Finally, his lieutenant just screamed at everybody and told him to get out. They rushed down to like the fourth floor and it was all pitch black. And he said, I don't know who the guy was, but somebody screamed that there was a doorway. And he said, all he remembers is just the marble cracking around him and just running, running while the building was falling behind him. I got sick. I got sick. They still hadn't heard from my brother Jimmy. So then when we saw the towel come down, we thought the worst. It was, it was very emotional. <laughs> Jimmy asked somebody who had a phone on the street to call my parents and tell them that, uh, that he was alive. He didn't even have the time to tell me uh, where he was. It was very, very quick. Walked in the house and no words needed to be said. It was, he looked at me and said, you know, that's how close he was. Give him a hug and you know, be happy he's still alive, but others weren't as fortunate. The guys I lost, I lost 47 of 51 of my guys. In 2000, there was eight of us sitting together at the Super Bowl. Right before the national anthem, one of my friends, Peter Garofalo, he said, uh, look at all these people and always having in, a, in the back of our mind what happened in 93 with the first explosion in the building. Peter said, imagine if there was some sort of attack here. There's 80,000 people here. And Joe Plumatello said, no, they're coming back to get us in that building. That's what he said. And that stuck in my head. Little did we know what was to happen. You know, seeing that skyline without the towers, it upset you to, to, to the core. So much of our innocence was lost that day. The initial focus was entirely on the people of the city of New York and most particularly the people of the NFL and their families. Two of our employees had lost their spouses. Julia Collins had lost her husband. Also, Ed Ty. We ended up going over as a group with Ed Ty to St. Patrick's at 5.30 just to reflect and pray and try to help him work through the anger and the horror that he was facing as an individual. Giants offensive lineman Jason Whittle was also there for someone in need. On the morning of the terrorist attacks, his best friend's brother, Randy Drake, was hit with debris when the plane hit the South Tower. Randy was in critical condition, but none of his family from Missouri could be with him because all flights were grounded. 
I made the call to Jason that said, look, Randy, he may not make it through the night, and can you be there? And, of course, there was no, I mean, hesitation. So I went up to the George Washington Bridge, and they had it completely shut down. And so I went down to the Lincoln, and then the Holland, and then I think I tried one of the other bridge, and they just had everything shut down. It was probably 12.30 by the time I got back up to the George Washington Bridge. They weren't letting anybody in unless you were family. I told the police officer that was there that, you know, I played for the Giants, and it was my brother. And he thought about it for a second, and he took me across the George Washington Bridge at about 100 miles an hour. Then he dropped me off to another policeman, and then he drove me the rest of the way down to the hospital. Whittle stayed at Randy's bedside until his family arrived on Thursday. You know, I told him I love him and thanks, and what else can you say but thanks, you know? I know it meant a lot to him, but I know that any one of them would have done the same thing for me, so it's not like I did something super great. Still to come. If the league says that it's safe to play these games this weekend, then that's what we should do. It just didn't feel right. It was like people are looking for their loved ones right now. And we're going to play a game? Tuesday's terrorist attacks were tragedies so daunting they took precedence over everything else, including sports. But how long should we wait before deciding that life and its diversions that we cherish must go on? Difficult, difficult decisions and not everyone is reacting the same way as to when it will be appropriate to come back. If the league says that it's safe to play these games this weekend, then that's what we should do. I don't think we should play, but that's not my preference. And we've got to, you know, prepare and, and see what the league decides to do. Uh, whatever decision is made, it shall be made. And it shall be made in the best interest of, of the American people. The decision to postpone or to play was one the NFL had confronted before. Following the assassination of President Kennedy in 1963, NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle decided to go forward with games just two days later. Many owners were aware that, that the league had played through the weekend after his assassination. And there were special reasons for that in terms of Pete Rozelle having spoken to Pierre Salinger and others in the White House. Tag Laboo reached out to almost every owner immediately. And the topic was, should we play? How do you feel? And obviously I expressed my opinion that uh, we're not prepared to, to play here in Washington. I distinctly remember my father saying we cannot play games this weekend. We don't know how many thousands of people have perished down there. There's still rescue efforts going on. It's just the wrong thing to do. From the beginning, there was pretty much a large, though not unanimous, consensus that we shouldn't be playing. There were owners who said, we have to play these games. We have to be a beacon for the rest of the country. And Tagliabudi had to work on coming to a consensus. Who wants to play after your mom passed away? Who wants to play after you lose a child? It was kind of, it was at that magnitude because I watched a jumbo jet fly through a building. I mean, how do you?
How do you make sense of that? You know? Giants Stadium parking lot was a commuter lot. There were cars there that never left. When you talk about like feeling someone who's just been through a tragedy, that's what it felt like for us. Because we would drive out and there'd be cars there, the same car sitting in the same spot. You know that that person passed away. And it made it real. And it made it um, not just an event that happened to this country, but an event that happened to us. All of us were touched by somebody. I found out that a guy that I went to junior high and high school with was a captain of the flight that went into the Pentagon, Chick Burlingame. And so those things kind of touch you. The magnitude of it, I think, now is the thing that I'm realizing. And um, the. Uh, I want to be with family. While teams awaited the league's decision on Sunday's games, the Giants faced a grim reminder at practice Wednesday morning. Our practice field overlooked the skyline. You could see the smoke. You could see everything. I mean, you could still see it every day on the practice field, which made it extremely tough. We come out every single day for the last eight years, and I've seen two towers standing there. They're not there. There's nobody thinking about football. Nobody's mind is on a game. Forty miles away on Long Island, the Jets were dealing with a similar struggle. And we were trying to go to work, and I, and I talked to the players. I said, look, they're thinking about playing the games, and I, I said, I don't know about that personally. I said, but we have to wait and see what they decide. So we're going to go practice. We went out on the field and about 30 minutes into practice. I could just tell. Players weren't into it. I was not into it coaching. Uh, my mind was somewhere else. And I called him back in and said, okay, let's go meet. So we went back in the meeting room. I said, hey, you guys can decide something. And I said, I'll back you 100%. I said, we don't have to wait on the league. If you don't want to play this game and you guys decide that, we won't play. And so we took a vote as a team. It was a secret ballot vote. And it was either yes or no. Yes, we'll play or no, we won't play. And it was almost unanimous. We had one vote that said we should play, and the rest were all no's. So Herm came back in, and I told him, as a team, we vote the New York Jets will automatically forfeit the game against the Oakland Raiders this week if we were made to play this game. I said, okay, that's fine. So I went down the hallway and told the GM, I said, hey, look, I know the league is deciding what they want to do. Uh, Jets aren't going to play. And he said, what? I said, Jets won't play. And I said, you better call the owner and let him know. And we're not going to get on an airplane, regardless of what the league decides to do. That evening in Washington, D.C., NFL Players Association Executive Director Gene Upshaw took the pulse of his union, summoning all player representatives onto a conference call. Gene, basically the conversation started. Guys, I don't know what commissioner's office is going to do. I told him that, you know, I told Paul we're going to talk about it. And there were guys, we need to play. We need to do this. I think we should go ahead and play. It's only one game. And somebody on the call said, guys, I think we need to hear what Kevin and Mike Strahan have to say about this. I remember flat out saying, we're not playing. And if you try to make a play, we just won't show up. We'll forfeit the game, but we're not going to be there. Giants will not be there. And once that was said, I think the seriousness of it hit everyone. By a majority vote, 
the players chose not to play. Upshaw relayed the results to Tagliabu, who despite resistance from some owners, held to his convictions and poured them out onto paper. This was the statement that I wrote on the morning of uh, Thursday, September 13, and uh, it was something that I started writing in the middle of the night, probably completed it in the middle of the night. We in the National Football League have decided that our priorities for this weekend are to pause, grieve, and reflect. It's a time to tend to families and neighbors and all those wounded by these horrific acts of terrorism. We understand those individuals in sports who want to play this weekend. We also can empathize with those who want to take the weekend off and resume their personal lives and professional careers next week. We strongly believe that the latter course of action is the right decision for the NFL. Material right in the middle there, it's a time to pause, grieve and reflect. It's a time to tend to families and neighbors and all those wounded by these horrific acts. That became obviously the key. That's what we heard from owners and players on the Jets, Giants, Redskins, and from Gene Upshaw and others. So that, that was really the heart of it. This time, and it's for the first time in its history, the NFL has canceled all of its games this weekend, and according to a couple of the players at least, it was not a difficult decision for them. I mean, I think it was a, a very important for us not to play that week, not only for us to gather ourselves in some way, but really for everyone to gather themselves. The whole country needed to regroup. When the games were canceled, it, it felt right um, that we were paying our proper respects to the people who lost their lives in this country. Coming up. I gave a voicemail to Fossil and said, it's up to you if you want to play this for the players. And um, they did. This made me cry. NFL linebacker Rob McGovern was working in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office at the time of the attacks. As an Army reservist, McGovern was able to volunteer at Ground Zero on September 12th. I put on my uniform and I just walked up to the nearest fireman and said, what, what can I do? And I think he just pointed to a line, one of the debris lines that had formed and said, get down there and just start moving debris. So that's what I started to do. McGovern stayed on the job for five straight days. It was such a massive loss of human life, of innocent human life. And at the very least, you thought, I can give one family consolation. Went down there for a month. It was very surreal. The worst thing I've ever seen. Like, I think about it now, it's just like, you, when you're going through it, you're like, this can't be. It's not possible. This cannot be. Jimmy, part of him died in that. He was part of him died in that, that trade center. When practice started again, the Giants still felt the lingering effects of 9-11. It wasn't the usual noise in practice, very quiet and solemn. We struggled through the experience. But the team's attitude soon changed. Something hit me at that point. I said, you know what? I'm going to call the Giants. So I called the Giants' main number, and I asked for Ernie Accorsi, and I left him a voicemail. 
I gave it to Fossil, Pat Hanlon, and I said, it's up to you if you want to play this for the players. And, and uh, they did. The gist of it was, I went out to see you guys play the Denver Broncos. The tragedies that happened took a lot of people's lives. And I would have been one of those. But my family, my kids have a father because I'm a Giants fan. I wore my dry eyes because I was standing in the back. This made me cry. That message from Tony was a, a, a big, serious, wow moment. Here you are playing a game that you think really, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't correlate with anything that's going on. And then when you heard Tony's message, it made you realize that we, in some ways, had some importance to some people. We were playing for our city, representing all of those who had lost and all those who were still giving and trying to rebuild the psyche of New York. You wanted to win to bring them some happiness, something to take their mind off for a second of the, of the gravity of the situation. When play resumed, Paul Tagliabu made sure every game had a patriotic feel. It was to show that as a nation we were unified and, and resilient and determined and not cowed. The NFL did it in the right way. It helped to create a sense of unity in America, among Americans. I think it kind of recalibrated everybody's sense of what was important. All of a sudden, listening to the Star Spangled Banner took on a lot more meaning than it had for a lot of people prior to that. Patriot right guard Joe Andrews's thoughts certainly involved his three brothers, Billy, Jimmy, and Mark, who were all New York City firefighters, and his dad, Bill, a retired New York City policeman, all honorary captains for today's game. It was hard having my brothers there. A lot of emotions going through my mind, knowing for what they just went through a week and a half ago. I remember in the tunnel, there was two flags taped on the wall next to me. You know, I just grabbed the flags and ran out knowing that we are strong together. surprised us all. I didn't even expect that. It came out, I was like, whoa. I was like, yeah, it was nice. It was very uh, uplifting, I would say, you know? You brought a tear to your eye. That's the best scene. Whenever you see anything about 9-11, you always show that. And he did it for people, but he did it for his brothers. You know, it was, it was fantastic. The NFL's return provided a lift, but amid the flag-waving and pageantry, some were still suffering from the deep cuts of 9-11. We brought Randy back to Kansas City. The day that the NFL started playing again, the Giants were in Kansas City. It was crazy. Randy had actually passed away that sat that night, and uh, the night before we played. Glad it was in you know where he was from, and his family was all there, and got some closure at that point. The overwhelming emotions made it hard to focus, but the Giants and Jets were determined. Both managed to grind out victories for New York. I can still remember the, the, the feeling you felt of relief when that, that game was over, that you didn't let these people back home down. 
the emotional toll. I get choked up just thinking about it. Went into the Giants locker room after the game. Greg Camella, who was a fullback for the Giants at the time, was just had his head buried in his hands, weeping. My first win as a head coach, when you give the game ball to the city of New York, boy, that was a wonderful moment. It's only fitting that this ball goes to them. To all those people that are, try to save people's lives, to us it means a lot. Our players were really involved in it emotionally and as well as our coaching staff. That was the right thing to do. And uh, I think the fans and everyone in New York appreciated it, that we were think still thinking about them. We took a group picture in the locker room after the game. Every guy had his hat on, including Wellington Mara, had that hat on just looking good. I've got that picture hanging up front and center in my trophy case. Proud memory. Still to come. When Drew went down, in came Tom in that second game, and you know we had to come together as a team. That's it. That's awesome. And we were all playing for each other. When football returned in week two. Joe Andrusi and the Patriots not only lost to the Jets, they lost their starting quarterback, which proved to be a turning point in their season. When Drew went down, in came Tom, and, you know, we had to come together as a team. That's it! That's awesome! And we were all playing for each other. Play action, fake, ready, cut a man, open, touchdown! And Bill Belichick's New England Patriots are going to the Super Bowl. After 9-11, the NFL was determined to move forward with its season and play a full schedule. To do so meant pushing the Super Bowl in New Orleans back a week. From a very early stage, we, our focus was on moving the Super Bowl. And uh, once we get, got into that, it was quite a bit more complicated than I had originally assumed. Tagliabue's plan clashed with the National Automobile Dealers Association, who had booked the Big Easy for their convention on the heels of the NFL's original date. With no cushion week between the conference championship games and Super Sunday, the NFL was in a bind. People who were involved in the trenches said it was not going to be possible. We looked at Miami, we looked at Pasadena. I talked to both of those uh, about the possibility of moving the game there and moving it out of New Orleans. I just said, there's no way we are going to lose this game. I think what the NFL had going for it is that the Super Bowl is bigger than a sporting event. And the environment of post 9-11 was powerful in that it was a climate of cooperation. The NFL negotiated. The auto dealers gave them some flexibility. So the big game is back on in the Big Easy, scheduled for February 3rd. With a date now set, there were still challenges facing the league. Janice Jackson was booked to do the halftime. She did not want to perform because she was afraid of being in a large public place. So we reached out to U2 and went and met Bono and The Edge and everybody out in Vegas. And it was not a hard sell. Still, the biggest worry for the NFL was security. There was great concern of a repeat attack. And there was great concern that the repeat attack would be targeted at a high-profile event. In response, 
the Department of Homeland Security designated Super Bowl 36 a national special security event, meaning the Secret Service would coordinate the security effort. Virtually every, in fact, every law enforcement agency, both at the federal level, the state level, and the local level were involved. There was a hard perimeter built up around the Superdome. On Thursday, the Secret Service actually does a sweep through the building with all the canines. They do a bomb check, and, and once it's declared clean, it's on lockdown. Super Bowl 36 was a celebration of red, white, and blue. A lot of thought went into that. It was to show that as a nation we were unified and, and resilient and determined, but to do it in a way that would, above all, respect those who had lost their lives. My brother, he just said, you know, you guys are a red, white, and blue team. You are the colors of the flag. He just said, you know, it's almost destiny. As Super Bowl 36 wound to a close. All right, folks, button up your chin strap. Here we go. The underdog patriots rose to the challenge. 48-yard field goal attempt. Snap ball down, kick up, and it is And my brothers just ran down and jumped on the field. <laughs> and tonight, the Patriots are world champions. I got a great picture of all of us holding that trophy up in the air, nice and high, and uh, knowing that uh, you know they're a part of that trophy as much as myself and my teammates. I believe that was the most important event ever held in the National Football League because it's very difficult now, 15 years later, for people to remember they weren't flying anywhere. You know, you weren't going to big events and you were afraid of everything that was gonna take place. If you go back and look at it today, that we understood the place of sports and particularly the place of the NFL in the larger universe. Coming up. It was very strange that that happened and he was right there. It's been years since Tony Sicenzio's life was spared because of his love for the Giants. Living with that burden hasn't been easy. Remember we lived in the city, we used to But through it all, Sicenzio's yeah. passion for his favorite Winter team first, uh, has never waned. Whoa! He catch that? Catch there. Caught it. So this is the kid that went to our high school, Bennett Jackson, yeah. 24, and he blew his knee out two years in a row. Love to see him make it though, just because what he endured. I enjoy life every day. Really appreciate, appreciate my family, my wife and my kids. I'm very thankful that I could see my children grow up and, and mature and God willing, I hope I meet their grandchildren. I mean, you're talking about making the most of second chances. Tony dedicated a lot of what he's done to charity. I mean, he's raised so much money for the children of the coworker that he lost. After he did that, we invited him to join our board of trustees, which he very eagerly and happily accepted. He doesn't only raise the money, he reaches into his own pocket and he gives. We're building a series of nine intrepid spirit centers helping troops who are suffering from traumatic brain injury. We are extremely fortunate to have Tony on our team. No, I'll never get over it. You never forget. And I hope they are looking down and knowing that I tried to do whatever I possibly could for them. 
think they would have done the same and probably more than I did, because that's the kind of guys they were. I do see some of my very close friends and their children. It keeps me good. It keeps me uh, okay that they all turned out okay. You know? Commissioner Paul Tagliabue retired in 2006. The NFL's decision to pause, grieve, and reflect after 9-11 was one of the hallmarks of his career. I was always impressed with Paul Tagliabue. But I think during that period, it was his finest hour. He really demonstrated uh, how good a commissioner he was. In 2007, former Patriots guard Joe Andruzzi was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer known as Burkitt's lymphoma. After making a full recovery, he started the Joe Andruzzi Foundation. We have helped multiple families and individuals with mortgage, rent, utility bills to relieve a little bit of that burden so they can care for their loved ones. On the day of the Boston Marathon bombings, Andruzzi's charity had several runners participating to raise money. The foundation's watch party was at a restaurant right in front of the second explosion. I just started running down Boylston Street, trying to help in any way I can. My wife goes, Joe, look at the, look at the young girls over there that are trying to carry a woman on their back. And I ran over there, picked her up, and ran her down the block to an ambulance. And the picture went viral. When I saw that picture, it was no surprise. That's my brother. He wouldn't sit back. That's the fireman in him. All three of us are firemen. That's his portion of being a fireman. That's, that's what's inside him is what's inside us. It was very strange that that happened, and he was right there. This was his 9-11. My brother happened to be right there, just like we were. After his football career, Giants offensive lineman Jason Whittle moved back to his native Missouri. His friendship with Greg Drake is as strong as ever. There was my first year. You and Mary came to visit us, picked him up from Newark Airport, and we ran out of gas. Greg and Mary and I run out of gas. No, no, no. Jason runs out of gas. I run out of gas. You were in the car. I just happened to be in the car. Yeah. Every 9-11, Greg or his family, we spent some time together, and the pain never goes away. It just, it just comes less often. We never see bald eagles at the lake. And you start to talk about Randy, and sure enough, you look outside and there's a bald eagle floating across the cove. It sounds almost crazy, but it's real. That's just another odd coincidence or tiny miracle. Immediately following his work at Ground Zero, former NFL linebacker Rob McGovern volunteered for active duty and was deployed to Afghanistan. In 2003, he was assigned to the prosecution team in the Sergeant Hassan Akbar case. Sergeant Akbar, uh, in March of 2003, had attacked his fellow soldiers in the 101st Airborne Division. He killed two soldiers and wounded 14 in Kuwait on the eve of the Iraq War. McGovern's contributions helped earn a conviction. Over the last decade, McGovern has worked for the government and U.S. military in various capacities. One of his most important jobs began in 2011. 
I received a phone call from General Mark Martins, and he was the chief prosecutor on the 9-11 case, the Khalid Sheikh Mohammed case. I felt like as a lawyer and as a prosecutor, this was exactly the kind of mission that I, I was put here to do. McGovern spent two years helping to build the case against the 9-11 conspirators. A trial date has yet to be determined. I want, like so many people, for justice to be done in that case. It's important because it says to those families, we as a society value your loved one. We value what they meant to the world.